0: Do you like metal? Coffee? Burly bearded dudes talking about metal and coffee? Then this episode of Cult House is for you, but before I get into all of that, I need to get some shameless self-promotion out of the way. If you go to Kickstarter right now, you can back issue three of Monkeys Fighting Robots the magazine. What is Monkeys Fighting Robots the magazine? It's an anthology of comics and articles about comics, and this next issue features a six-page horror comic titled Unabridged Nightmare written and lettered by me and drawn by my good friend Mitchell McNaughton. Now while you're there you can also add the first two issues of Monkeys Fighting Robots which I helped to edit to your pledge. These are very high quality magazines a lot of good stuff in them and if you also want to know why monkeys are fighting robots in the first place you can grab Tales of Monkeys Fighting Robots by Jamie Jones and Matt Sardo while you're there. I've also been assured that Monkeys Fighting Robots founder, Matt Sardo is gonna throw in some extra goodies, like MFR Koozies for the backers. So check that out and check out their website and podcast too. I've had the pleasure of doing stuff for both of those as well, including two interviews with an obscure little known comic artist named Todd McFarlane. Anyways, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can check out the link to the Kickstarter in the bio below. If you're listening on Spotify or another platform, just go to Kickstarter and search for Monkeys Fighting Robots. Now, back to Cult House. Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, Roger Riddell, and joining me today is drummer Mike Michek from Chicago Death Metal Mainstays Broken Hope, uh, Sludge Purveyors, The Atlas Moth, and the District Manager of Chicago's Dark Matter Coffee. How are you doing today, Mike? Woo, doing good, Roger. Thanks for having me, yo. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to have to run through there. (laughs) Oh, God, Yeah.
1: (laughs) The list gets longer. We like to joke that there's only like three drummers in the Chicago metal scene and uh, that incorporates about 75% of all the
0: bands. (laughs) Yeah, I know there was a, there's a Brazzers joke in there at some point. Oh God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like you all are just always getting passed around between probably like a half a dozen bands at any given time. Like I know um, uh, Gabe from Something Is Waiting uh, is in like three other bands too.
1: Oh God, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I just ran into him last week standing on the street. That's what, you know, you're coming out of, we all rehearse in like the same general area. So you walk out at any given night and you're going to run into Gabe or you're going to run into uh, sometimes Gary, or maybe you'll see, uh, you know, some. It's, it's hilarious. And it's like, what project are you working on this week? Are you covering for this guy? Or are you playing with these guys now? Like sick. I had no idea that you had joined those 12 other bands.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like I remember um, back in... Like 2010, 2011-ish when things were really kicking off. Like Charlie Fell was in three bands at one time too.
1: That sounds right.
0: (laughs) I don't know if it's a Chicago thing or a drummer thing, but shit, I'll take it. (laughs) You know, it's a a good drummer and uh, I feel like a good bassist is kind of hard to come by too. Dude, totally. I'll take that. You can't
1: throw a rock in the city without hitting somebody that's trying to be a lead guitarist or a vocalist. (laughs) No
0: one ever wants to make the jump to bass.
1: (laughs) And here's the thing like, I, every time I talk to either a drummer, it's like, especially me, dude, I would love to play bass. And then you talk to a drummer and it's like, it would talk to a bass player and it's like, what else would you play? And it's like, eh, I probably want to be a drummer. It makes sense. It's a rhythm section thing.
0: Yeah. And um, so you joined Broken Hope when they reformed like back in 2012. Yeah. And uh, I had talked, I think the year before that to uh, Sean Glass when I was doing that uh, oral history of Chicago metal for the av club
1: oh nice and
0: uh i think at that time he was doing the dirge within stuff yeah Uh, yeah. but that was like right around the time the the metal scene had like kind of hit i guess maybe it's like more recent peak in that city
1: yeah dude that's crazy wow that's a throwback too because literally when sean was recording that dirge within record that's kind of how i got to know him because I was buddies with this cat named Don, who who owned a recording studio, and Don introduced me to Sean, because they were death metal guys from back in the 90s, and he came in one day, and he was like, man, who the fuck is this? And he was looking at all the patches on my jacket. He's like, Razor, you don't listen to fucking Razor. Like, what is a sacrifice? You don't know what the fuck that is. And then we got in a room, and we started jamming. I think we jammed some trouble or something, and then like six months later, Don hit me up, and he was like, yo, you need to talk to that Sean guy that you were hanging out with because Broken Hope is reforming and they need a drummer and you being the fucking, you know, 20-year-old, 40-year-old <laughs> would be perfect <laughs> for that. So it, it's, it's crazy because meeting Sean around that time is literally how I kind of wound up getting an audition with Broken Hope and getting to meet those guys. Yeah,
0: it's kind of nuts how... Um how just like rich the city's metal scene is. Like, I feel like it's uh it, just the history of it. It's underrated as one of those cities that was really influential. Just going back to like um, Master and Trouble. And oh, God, uh, yeah. I think like at one point, Syndrome was uh, kind of big up there.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, I mean, fuck yeah. And even uh, Macabre as well, dude. You're yeah. talking about like the solid foundations of like death and thrash metal really coming out of Chicago and like being the you can't like look at an old school photo especially even after lg passed and you look at all the old and tuned photos and those cats are rocking syndrome shirts so like they knew what was up they you're kind of like the underdogs like we helped start it but yeah you're right totally just like didn't get the recognition necessarily that it deserved i don't know if it's a midwest thing or what
0: you know it's like uh there was so much going on when i was uh trying to like put together that history of it uh back in the day that i inevitably ended up like either not being able to connect with bands like things just didn't line up or there were just people that for whatever reason uh just kind of got overlooked just because of the whole process and i just remember um people were really upset in the comment section on that that like I overlooked their favorite band from the 80s and it's like dude I tried to like get some of these people and their schedules just didn't line up.
1: (laughs) Why didn't you talk about Demented Ted man? What about Oppressor? What about Usurper? (laughs) And granted all these bands started fucking years before I was even born. I just wound up not having a life and spent most of middle school and high school sitting on like metal archives trading with people in like Germany for these old bands that I'd never heard of because it's not like you could go to Best Buy and get these CDs like this shit was already like 15 years out of print by the time I was trying to get into it so it's wild I mean (laughs) it's a rich fucking history in this city it's so solid
0: yeah like uh Scott from Cyanide had like hooked me up with uh, a handful of recordings from around that time because you know like you were saying so much of it was just hard to find
1: yeah exactly and now it's like all oh, the cyanide catalogs getting re-released, fucking cardiac arrests, albums are finally getting repressed and stuff, all these crazy like European labels. I mean, this is even the case with Broken Hope with Floga Records out of Greece. And all of a sudden they're re-releasing the first five, four or five records via Metal Blade and shit's just like exploding. And it's like, whoa, I had no idea that people gave this much of a shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like for me, um, death metal was always kind of hit or miss for me. But a lot of the Chicago death metal bands kind of have like that. Um, there's like a groove to it. Like it's almost like pre-death and roll, death and roll. You know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, that's why I love
1: Broken Hope so much, man. Because you got a song like Gorehog that's like straight up blast beats, and then in the middle, all of a sudden, it's like this fucking grooving slam thing. And it's like, dude, that's a, it's got everything in one song. That's like a minute and thirty seconds. Sick. I want more of that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, how has uh, this past year or so been for you just like not being able to tour?
1: Oh, it's been awful. <laughs> it's been, I mean, you, you know, it's it, we were joking and I was talking with Stavros about this like on the porch last summer when we were talking about all of it and it's like, man, remember when we used to go out and do cool things and now we're just defined by our day jobs? And then it was like, no, fuck that. We're still musicians. It's just we're grounded right now. But it was crazy, man. I'd like we had at least Broken Hope had three or four festivals that canceled. Um, This doom project I'm in called Canyon of the Skull, we had just dropped a record like two months before and we had a slew of dates to promote it. One with something is waiting up in Madison and that got dropped like the week that the lockdown happened. So it sucked and everything like dropped down with it. I don't think I jammed with anybody for probably six months. It was just such a bummer. Everybody was scared. Everybody didn't know what to do. I was still going out and working with the public every day. So I was wondering if I was going to like you know, go visit my parents for the weekend and fucking kill them. <laughs> so it was weird. I mean, in a, in a flash, everything was done. Everything was canceled and it was terrifying. It was like, Oh, where did my life purpose just go? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've existed in like a three like square mile radius in the DC area for the past year. Cause like I haven't even bothered trying to go to Kentucky to visit any family for the same reasons that you just mentioned.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was terrifying. And the only time I was able to get out of the city, it was like, well, we've got some friends in like Bumblefuck, Indiana that live on like, you know, 10 acres in the middle of the woods. And that's safe enough, right? And it was like, yeah, let's go. Just like at least get out of the city and some fresh air and not have to have a mask on and worry about, you know, somebody coughing on you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, um I was uh talking to Eddie on here a few weeks ago and uh we were joking around about how um when everything kind of picks back up again, everyone's just going to have to to give all of the bands a little bit of uh time to get back in the groove because it's just been so long since they've really been able to play in front of people.
1: Oh yeah. I am, I am not looking forward. Well, I am looking forward to those first shows back. I mean, it's going to be fucking sweet, but totally true. I mean, in the case of Broken Hope, Jeremy and I started jamming closer to middle to late last year. And we kind of demoed some new songs and at least played through some oldies to get the rust off. But even with the case of like Atlas Moth, like, man, we haven't, as a band in a room, I think I was talking with the guys the other day, it's probably been about 16 months just fucking wild i haven't seen the, the five of us have not been in a room together since pre-covid at this point so he's totally on the nail with that it's like i haven't seen those guys i have not jammed with those guys we were to get in a room and be like all right let's do some actual human blood and be like sick how does that go again <laughs> <laughs> like damn so that's totally that, that rings so true and especially for us you know like bringing back gabe for example who are in multiple bands like I know Gabe's been jamming by himself. I know I've been jamming by myself, but whether he's been doing it with Eddie or whether he's been doing it with Lavisher, like who knows, you know, everything's kind of just so on hold and everybody became so focused on just surviving in their daily life that, you know, this quote unquote hobby, if you want to call it, (laughs) had to go by the wayside. This is not like any of us make a living off of this shit.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I know that uh, Atlas Moth was uh, planning some kind of EP that, uh, I don't know how much of the details on that that we can actually get into. And I was kind of waiting for more of that to be able to be talked about so I could have Stavros on here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, like, a, it's just like, how how does all that stuff even, like, work during all this, you know?
1: Dude, exactly. I mean, and with the, with the, I, the EP or at least the material that Steve and I started working on last year, it was his idea. He sketched it out. Uh, we learned it independently. And then we kind of just went for it on a day in the studio and laid down a basic drum and a basic rhythm track with the idea of at least Andrew knows how to do studio shit from home Dave's got his axe he can do studio shit from home a bass can be di'd so it was like yo let's get this general idea and then through COVID since everything's basically digital these days anyway we can try to build an EP off of that and it's just like everything else man life just got in the way and we're still kind of in a holding pattern with it And there's some cool concepts, you know, I'll let him I'll let him drop what he wants to do, especially if he's going to be coming up next. I'll definitely let him have that bit. But that's totally how it was. It was very still separate. It wasn't more than two of us in a room at a time trying to figure shit out, which is still equally weird.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And um, I had initially met you through that band and um, it was like the last time that you guys played DC when you were touring with Royal Thunder and you had, I guess, just joined the band not too long before that. Yeah, And uh, I remember uh, Stavros texting me uh, after I stopped by the merch table, because uh, he was like saying that you were excited that someone had just come and like dropped 200 bucks at the merch table. And he was just like, yeah, that's Roger. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, I was
1: like, who's that? Oh, it's a Chicago homie. I right. sick shit, that makes sense.
0: <laughs>
1: Which is right to see. I mean, that's the best part of touring is getting to see your homies, especially if you moved away. So shit. <laughs> I think we even had our coffee at that point too, which is righteous. I hope you drank the shit out of that.
0: Yeah, I bought like three bags of that. So I've got um it came with a cassette copy of Come Noir. Yeah. So I've got three cassette versions of that. Sick. <laughs> oh dude, yeah.
1: That was dope. I mean, we uh so dark matter has a, a label and it's kind of become a media conglomerate called Press Pot Records. So when I told Dark Matter about the record coming out, I was like, Yo, it'd be sick. If we could do coffee. And they'd be like, fuck yeah, of course, dude. Like it's your project. We love you. And then I was like, what about putting out a cassette with it? And it was dope. I mean, we, we hit a prosthetic and it was like, Hey, can we just license this? And they were like, yeah, we don't care. Do whatever. It's a promo thing. So getting fucking cassettes printed out and having them show up in a box and it was white with the logos on it and everything. Like it was just cool. Cause it brings you back to being a kid. And it's like, I just want to pop this in a walk, man. <laughs> but I was so yeah. stoked on that. I was like, sick. I like collectible things.
0: Yeah, and that Coma Noir blend was one of my favorites because it was just like a really solid diner coffee.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally. It was like the whole theme of the album is kind of like this, you know, murder mystery film noir going back to the 20s with the detective sitting on his desk, you know, smoking a cigar. So it's like a nice cup of full body black coffee to go with it. Perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and um, how does the... uh uh partnerships that you all do with different artists work because uh i know that you all had the nine inch nails one and like part of the proceeds from that went to charity There was the one with like mastodon for uh, hope for the day there was mm-hmm. the one with the refuse and like so on
1: yeah um that's usually the artists i mean and what's what's interesting about all those uh blends that you mentioned with the exception of nine inch nails all that's going through the drummers so for the refused coffee refuse pick the charity their drummer pick the coffees um, for every Macedon coffee we done, Macedon picked the, cherry, uh, the charity, but Bron was always our main connection for that. Um, for Municipal Waste, it's always been Dave. Dave is definitely the coffee hound. So it's really hilarious that this kinship with drummers and caffeine is definitely a thing. I mean, even if you go back to uh, like Gene Hoagland and Dark Angel in the 80s, I mean, dude was called the LA Caffeine Machine for a reason. He was <laughs> fast as fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, y'all got I the- I just love uh, that that's the... a running theme. Yeah, there's like the two or three uh, Charlie Benati blends, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, which we still have going. And that was all him, you know? He was like, we're going to call it Schism. We're going to call it this. Oh, I really like Frenette. You want to condition that coffee in Fournette? Like, Fuck yeah, we will. <laughs> so yeah, it's always the drummer, man. I love it.
0: Yeah, I ran into him one year. Uh, I guess it was like 2017, maybe, at a uh, New York Comic Con. Nice. He was just kind of... Uh, like going through uh one of the t-shirt booths and I walked up to him I was like yo Charlie what's up and he just kind of looked at me and he was like shit don't blow up (laughs) don't blow up my fucking spot here dude (laughs)
1: I'm I'm looking for shit like the rest of y'all right now yeah
0: (laughs) yeah I was just like I'm not trying to bug you or anything I just wanted to say hi because I saw you
1: dude it's righteous him and uh, him and jeremy from broken hope have become really uh decent friends in the past couple of years and literally all these shit to the shoot about fucking horror movies all the time dude it's a great kinship to have It's just we're all nerds and that's what it is if you're a metalhead you're probably a nerd for good reason because it's all about everything man it's a lifestyle you know so you immerse yourself in it you need to know everything about it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and um speaking of the horror movie thing like it's pretty much how i always kind of explain death metal to people is that it's basically just really heavy and has a lot of horror themes and the thing that like differentiates that from something like black metal is that black metal has all that like tolkien and like mm-hmm. satanism and stuff and all that
1: oh dude totally i mean and that's there's a great i remember i don't know if it was the history of cannibal corpse or something they were talking about when they were doing eating back to life and they were like what the fuck is wrong with y'all and it's like dude it's just us getting a case of beer and watching Evil Dead 2 on a VHS tape and being like, that's fucking gross and hilarious. Let's write A song about that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I mean, definitely in the case of Broken Hope, that's definitely it. I mean, Jeremy is one of the biggest horror freaks I've ever met in my life. And I thought I had a decent base of knowledge, you know, when you're coming up and it's like, Dude, you got to watch Evil Dead. Dude, you watch Night of Living Dead. You got to go find Dead Alive and watch the lawnmower scene at the end you know and then being exposed properly to that whole world it's like oh this is gnarly also this all makes sense now
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's uh it's crazy the just of those movies that you mentioned those directors went on to do like these big like mainstream blockbuster movies uh you oh, know, to inadvertently 15, tie it right
1: back to lord of the rings yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> It was like yo peter jackson is a brilliant artist and it's like yeah you ever seen bad taste <laughs>
0: Yeah. What's it, uh, what's it been like uh, dark matter for the last year?
1: It's been, it's been crazy, man. So I was still running the uh, mothership location when everything happened and it literally just became like a slower and slower clamp down before the city finally clamped down on all of it. So like leading up to it, it's like, okay, pull the condiment bar. We don't want people commingling and touching things that other people are touching. Then we started wearing masks before there was even a mandate And then when it all shut down, we immediately kind of pivoted and it's like, cool, everything's to go. We're gonna do one person in and out at a time. And then we adapted by having to do like an online ordering service where people could order ahead. So at least they could come in and get their shit and get out instead of waiting. Cause like when you're doing one in and one out, like the queues were long. So it was kind of a way to try to relieve that while still um, uh, conducting traffic at the same time. So it was just pivoting. It was a lot of uh, adaptability. It was a lot of thinking on our feet. It was a lot of patience. It was a lot of guidance. So you really learn a lot in a very short period of time, just on how to manage people, how to deal people, how to direct people, how to keep them safe, how to keep you safe. And I was actually really stoked at the foresight from the upper heads, because it just seemed like in terms of our safety, they really acted quickly. And like we had glass guards before that was mandated by the rest of the city to try to keep people from talking at us and whatnot. So it was it was an experience. Basically all of our shops turned into like some bodega style. You roll in and there's a giant glass thing. And thank you, sir. Here's a cup of coffee. Have a good one. Now please get out. (laughs) (laughs) There's survival. And like, uh, in terms of that, combine that with uh, like back of house web sales through our uh, um, online store and just taking like, kind of like how beer does when they take like vertical flights of different releases every year, we would take like four years worth of packaging from devil's lettuce and just be like, check it out, get all five of them right now as like a collector's thing. And that really helped too. So kind of digging into the back catalog, a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of inventiveness. And we was just like all in or all end, dude. Like we pull out all the stops or we're not gonna be here six months from now. So now that it's been over a year, it's really dope to see that adaptability really pay off. And the fact that we still all have jobs.
0: Yeah, I remember uh, grabbing last year a few of those uh, blends that were just kind of like brought out for all of that. Uh, the I guess you all kind of just had uh, in the back there, uh, mm-hmm. either from just like the packaging, or you were able to to throw those same blends together.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it was definitely a combination of both. And for those that we couldn't recreate the actual blend, we at least tried to make it as similar as possible with whatever we had because obviously international trade was being halted too. And it's not like we could still go down to a coffee farm and check out what was going on because nobody had any idea what was going on. So it was cool. Yeah. It was either replicate the brands or at least get the coffees out. And there was some cool bag art that I hadn't seen in years that all of a sudden showed up. And I was like, Oh, that's a throwback. That's kind of cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And um one of the other things that I've always kind of dug about dark matter is just the, uh, the overall like kind of positive vibes that that company puts out there, because there's just like this really sort of uh, intentional effort to be involved in the community and to build this whole community around all of that. Uh, And so it always kind of struck me throughout the last year too, just the messages that they put out through the beginning of the pandemic and then through all of the unrest uh, last summer uh, during the Black Lives Matter protests and all of that. And that just like really kind of makes me like that company that much more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was a good chance to also just be like, well, you practice in what you preach and the fact that, you know, we've been working so closely with some of these communities already and then really just being like, okay, so how really can we step it up now and work closely as we've done a lot of work with uh, My Block, My Hood, My City. We've done a lot of work with the Gage Park Latinx Council and just like kind of even solidifying those ties even more. Because, like, community is everything. Like, that's your support system. Like, without a community, you're nothing. So, really, just being there and being supportive and listening and asking how we can help and how we can do that through art and coffee and collaboration, even in a time where, like, people getting together is literally forbidden, was definitely the big challenge. And I was glad that we were still able to kind of keep our ethos and work through that. Um, it's definitely something I'm super proud to be a part of. It, it, it really is a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. And um, how do all the. Uh, Fair trade relationships that you all have were? I mean, what's really, and these granted, these were all relationships
1: that were definitely forged before I started with the company, but what we really did was pivot to, and what's weird is that 2020 was the 10th anniversary of us working with the Pacas family down in El Salvador, you know, 10 years that we had been sourcing coffee for them. So these relationships and how they developed, we literally worked directly with the farms, and especially in El Salvador and Guatemala. It's, you know, we were going down there three to four times a season. We looked at coffee, we talked to them about coffee, we tasted coffee, we went to the farms, and then we purchased directly through them instead of going through, you know, a broker or some sort of trade organization or anything like that. So when the pandemic happened, it became even more so important that we really strengthened those bonds because once again, that sense of community, it's like, you know where the money is going. And especially in Guatemala with our relationship with uh, Finca San Jeronimo, um, they were literally like you guys have no idea how much you've impacted not only our family, but the workers here and this entire community from purchasing coffee from us for all these years. So it was, you know, it really highlighted even more so the importance of that during the pandemic and the fact that we were able to source directly and work directly with them. And that money was going directly to them and definitely benefiting the people that worked for it, which was really cool. I mean, the strength of relationships is impressive. (laughs) dude i love that old school miami mug i miss those so much that just oh yeah that robin egg blue with the pink on there oh i miss that so much
0: yeah do you know if you all are gonna do any more like diner style coffee or mugs like this we're getting around
1: to it we've got some we've got some things pushing around in the design department and i'm really stoked at what the uh what the next future is going to bring in terms of design and merch and everything i'm really excited for it
0: yeah no you all uh have a pretty strong merch game overall like i uh with the coffee packaging i really Mm -hmm. like the the local artists that you all are able to line up for that too oh my goodness absolutely and that really
1: comes from just sourcing and dude like the amount of shit that just comes from instagram and literally some of the guys in the office just being like dude i like this artist i like this artist oh they're chicago based i mean they're just down the street in pilsen like yo hit them up like let's do a thing let's have them paint on the wall in the roastery or let's have them design a bag or You know, even with somebody kind of slightly bigger, that's not necessarily part of the community like Raul, who did all of our portfolio blends that got redesigned last year with this crazy 70s psychedelic like, you know, I don't want to whitewash it by saying it looks like a fucking Boston concert tee. But in terms of that aesthetic with those colors and that psychedelia, it's just like so eye popping and so dope. It's like I don't see anybody else and not even coffee specific that's doing that type of aesthetic right now. And it just so speaks to me. I don't know if it's the Sabbath or what, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I know uh, last time that I was in Chicago, it was uh, that big 10th anniversary uh, street festival that you all had. Uh, What all went into kind of organizing that and uh, just kind of like lining everything up so that it ran smoothly?
1: Yeah, oh my God. It's slightly out of my wheelhouse in terms of operations on it. But they've always done, Dark Matters' birthday is around the 4th of July. So we always tried to do a block party every year. So for the 10th anniversary, it was like really all out. And what's cool is that it's like, it's the beer homies. It's like, hey, you guys, you know, we collaborate with breweries a lot. So it's like, what beer do you want to pour so we can support you? Um, You know, we have our friends who are in restaurants come and they cook food for people. And then in terms of the artists, it's like, there's such a pool of talent within the back of house within the front of house baristas like three quarters of the bands that played that day were all people who were of dark matter staff and that's even cooler so it's literally just internal sourcing at that point it's like who are our friends who are our staff who are our collaborators and it's like fuck just bring them all together what are we doing we're throwing a party on saturday just bring them all in
0: <laughs> and that's i we try
1: to do something like that every year so it was really sad last year when that totally didn't happen and i was like man that's like the one time everybody just gets together and it's like fuck yeah this community is awesome the city is awesome it's full of creative positive dope ass energy now let's drink some beers about it
0: (laughs) yeah and i i love the name of uh the one higher ups band wild jesus and the devil's lettuce Mm, oh god yeah (laughs)
1: which naturally i've been drumming for them for about six years now so there you go (laughs) which is a hoot man you just get to lay back and just go with it it's very much like that kind of uh I don't wanna put it in like a, in terms of like a, I guess the best comparison would be something like pig face where it's like pig face always exists because pig face itself is the entity of those of the comprise of it of a certain period of time. So that's kind of like the idea behind wild Jesus. It like, it always is. And it doesn't matter who's in it. Cause it still is. Cause it's the essence <laughs> overall. And for that 10th anniversary, I mean, was that when there was like two drummers on stage and there was like 10 people playing?
0: yeah and uh bruce so. came up and did uh the uh yes, Turner of version of whole lot of love <laughs> oh, dude, <that> was so <laughs> sick and then we ended
1: it with the cover of she's so heavy which was so dope oh that's a, that was one of my funnest shows i've ever played with them that was that ruled so hard and i think all the edibles probably wiped a good chunk of that memory away from it but yeah damn that was a fun <laughs>
0: you know speaking of bruce he's one of those other dudes who's just like in a half a dozen projects up there uh he just like pops up on everything i don't know if it's because he's so versatile with his like sax ability or uh like i've seen him replace the singer in dillinger escape plan at the barbecue before
1: fuck that's sick and that sounds awesome but I, just, I think it's just a matter of, you know, kind of like the Dark Matter community and then, you know, like make, taking it a little bit smaller to just like the music community at large and the fact that somebody like Bruce that not only has that crossover appeal within the metal community, but then within the greater music community at large. Like, I'm pretty sure he's probably been on every Moth record to date because on Coma on Noir, he does the sax at the end of Chloroform. Um, jamming with Canyon of the Skull, he's joined us on stage for Dark Lord Day at least twice now, just since it's like doom metal with no vocals it's like yeah dude just come fucking make noise over this shit and then jamming with wild jesus whether it's singing or whether it's with a saxophone we did um wild jesus did a live stream a couple months back and we called it uh dark matter tv so dm tv (laughs) naturally and we just filmed this like 10 minute improvisational thing and we had him jumping on saxophone and it was so dope it was it was a hoot everybody was just vibing off of each other it was the first time a lot of us have been in the room making music together since the pandemic and having him be a part of that was beyond fucking fun it was just everybody was vibing and it's like shit i don't remember anything i just played but it felt fucking spiritual
0: <laughs> i
1: feel alive again
0: and uh are you ever surprised at like how uh big i guess in that area dark matter has kind of become because you all had locations in the united center too right yeah we did have uh and i
1: don't even know what the future of that is anymore but yeah we were uh we had the mad west cafe and literally everybody who took a picture of that michael jordan statue for about two years had that little dark matter logo (laughs) sitting in the back corner of the to-go window so it's cool man i mean it's the outreach is crazy and while we're you know, being being the district manager for one of the district managers for Dark Matter now, you know, we're mainly in charge of hiring. And that's literally like the amount of people, not only from within Chicago that are impressed at the expansion, but even people from other cities that have just heard from us. And it's like, hey, I'm moving here. And you guys were like, what I thought of in terms of a gig in order to get to the city. It's pretty cool. It's slowly going national, or it already is national, should I say. I mean, we have homies out in New York that are stoked on us we got friends down in Texas now it was one of our first um you know COVID road trips once people started getting vaccinated was go down to Austin go down to San Antonio hang out with uh the Black Angels at like the 13th floor bar and jam on some Rocky Erickson and shit like that so it's slowly it's it's getting into the 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 zeitgeist
0: (laughs) yeah and um how does uh everything work uh with your position whenever you have to go out on tour I mean, mercifully, what's always been awesome is
1: that they've won. I mean, they're incredibly supportive of anybody who is in the arts and realizing that you do have passions outside of work that you absolutely need to pursue and support because it's just part of mentally being a very (laughs) healthy individual, but also just kind of padding, you know, the way when I first started running Mothership, it was a co-manager situation because of that. So when I left, I still had somebody else who could help me run the shop. And now in terms of the district manager role, um, there's two of us. So at any given point, if somebody's not in, there's always somebody else to back them up. So it's always been really cool. They've always been supremely supportive. Um, and that's just, I think, a very fortunate part of being with a company who is very supportive of the arts and creative endeavors. So it's just part of the game. You know, I, I would be very confused if they were like, you know, you really can't do this anymore. And I'd be like, but what? It would just it would, it would be out of line for them. It's, it's They are so incredibly supportive of anything that anybody is doing creatively or passionately. It's really righteous.
0: Yeah, and it's. Uh, speaking of touring, it's interesting kind of seeing now uh, what these different tour schedules are looking like with a lot of bands going out on the road again. Yeah. Because there's a lot of major markets that they can't really hit yet because of the restrictions. But uh, at the same time, it means that there are people in these other markets that don't usually get hit who are finally getting these big shows. Um, what do you think the, the, that whole thing is going to look like for the next like couple of years, you think the, you know, the big markets will open up uh, soon, or Do you think it'll be a little bit further down the road?
1: You know, I think it'll be soon. I mean, considering that my ass was sitting in the United center this past Friday, watching a bulls game, which is cool. There was barely fucking anybody in there, but just the fact that that's slowly becoming a reality in this city again, I think is really hopeful. I think it's really dope. Um, I'm sure when you talk to Stavros, he'll reiterate his theory of how everybody's kind of been knocked down a peg or two. So bands that were playing theaters are going to be playing clubs. Bands that were playing clubs are going to be playing fucking bars and how everybody kind of goes down a peg because all these bigger bands are going to suck up all of these tour routes. Like, you know, it's always been the theory of, you know, once touring starts again, what is Slipknot going to do? They're not going to be filling like Allstate Arena. Are they going to like come through Reggie's? And if they do, I'm fucking there because that sounds awesome. But yeah, and I think in term it, it just comes to cap limits and what's allowed. And obviously that's going to vary from state and from city, which is kind of the clusterfuck of this whole thing was just being like, everybody do something different. But just based upon how Chicago is slowly opening, I'm hopeful that everything will slightly see some sense of normalcy again. I think by the time mid next year rolls around, it's going to look pretty much like it did pre-COVID, or at least I'm hoping anyway just by the amount of shows I've seen, the amount of places I've seen, the amount of announcements. Broken Hope is supposed to play this uh, festival down in Monterey, Mexico at the end of October. And so far that all seems amazing. Like Cradle of Filth is the headliner, so I mean, <laughs> they've got a lot riding on this shit if they have to cancel it all of a sudden, it's not like some death metal festival and we're like the high brought in talent. <laughs> but I'm just, the fact that you're still seeing Psycho talking about shit, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. So I guess it's kind of like, we'll see how fall goes. and then take it from there
0: yeah yeah uh speaking of cradle of filth the one time that i got to see them was in uh chicago at the house of rules uh which you know for for anyone who isn't aware that's the house of blues but uh oh it's so goddamn true the uh the funny thing about their set though was that for whatever reason the like back projector thing didn't work so they were just playing to like this bright like blue white screen the entire show
1: (laughs) that's hilarious god it's like i mean can somebody just put like a a red spotlight on it or something just something just something that's not like bright baby blue (laughs) it doesn't really go along with you know going and then here's gilded cunt and it's like no no, that, that doesn't work at all (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd think that they could have just like had someone roll the projector up and just played to whatever like curtain is behind it.
1: Oh God, no, exactly. <laughs> that that's some spinal tap shit, man. I remember we played. It was the first tour I did with Broken Hope, and we were in Quebec City, and we were loading up. We start doing a sound check, and we hear everybody laughing, and it's like, yo, what the fuck's going on? And you look behind you, and the goddamn banner's upside down. And it's like, <laughs> all right, hello, Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get some poutine now.
0: <laughs> yeah, like the giant uh, banners are always cool at the festivals to see, but occasionally you kind of also see where uh, you have mishaps with them where they either like are kind of half hanging off or
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, fall down just because, you know, shit happens. Exactly. of the clamp
1: <laughs> comes undone. We played this, uh, it was in the middle of nowhere, Germany. And it was so fucking windy and we played so early. Like the joke on Sage was, yo, the fucking trees are moving all, more than all y'all. What's going on here? But our scrims just kept flying over. You know, they're giant parasails at that point. And it's like, oh God, can we get done with this and go back to sleep? Cause I didn't go to bed until 6 a.m. And bus call was seven. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel that it, it, Spinal Tap is real. It's a fucking documentary. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the uh, the Stonehenge thing is like an actual Black Sabbath thing, except it was supposedly reversed. Like the uh, the it was like too big or
1: something, right?
0: Yeah, they were too big for the venues that Sabbath were playing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's hilarious. I mean, slightly slightly off topic and slightly hippie-ish, but man, I just got done watching like this Grateful Dead documentary, and there's a whole series on the Wall of Sound where they just built this enormous ass sound rig that had like 200 speakers in it and you just see they're interviewing these roadies and they're just like oh god fuck all that <laughs> <laughs> every goddamn day putting that thing up and tearing it down and I was like yep it hurts it's real <laughs> such is the price of rock and roll <laughs> you
0: know i uh speaking of wall of sound uh i got to see motorhead like one time before lemmy died and it was uh Jally. also in chicago in 2011 and uh, that show for the week after that i couldn't hear right out of like my left ear i was like right up in front of the stage uh right near like the monitors on that side of the stage yeah and their whole set was just like i mean they had the reputation as being the loudest band in the world like i didn't really understand what exactly that construed until i saw them live and it literally was like a wall of sound (laughs) Like unless you really knew Motorhead, you almost couldn't tell what songs they were playing at any given time. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, (laughs)
1: dude, that's as brutal as what the didn't Manowar used to have that title for a minute, and then when they played Concord a couple years ago, the fucking ceiling started crumbling, so they had to evacuate the venue. I was (laughs) like, all right, that's the most metal thing I've heard since the Cod piece came around. Dude, I'm jealous, man. I never had the play. Motorhead was one of those learning experiences for me, along with Typo Negative, where you just don't fucking put off seeing shit anymore, because you take it for granted. It's like, hey, you want to go see Motorhead? And I was like, yeah, I'll catch him next time. And then, fuck, Lemmy's dead. So that's what I learned. So I've heard ACDC's coming to Wrigley sometime in the next year, and you better believe I'm going to fucking be there before somebody else from that band croaks. <laughs> yeah, is Brian
0: Johnson singing for them again, or is it still Axe
1: it's, it's Brian. Man, if you haven't checked out that latest record, like I'm a sucker for ACDC. They sound fucking good.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. if it ain't
1: broke, don't fix it. It sounds like every other fucking ACDC record ever, but it's
0: good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, a, that's the running joke with them is that they've made Back in Black like a dozen times after that. But I mean, oh, that's Slayer's like yeah. Ace of Space a million times. You <laughs> know, Ace of Space. Ace of Ace. Ah, Jesus. Drink more beer to that. You know, it's like uh, Slayer has that reputation of being the ACDC of Thrash because they pretty much stuck with the same formula the whole time they existed, except for like maybe on Diabolus and God Hates Us All. But those were like borderline new metal.
1: No, especially Diabolus. And I feel like every Thrash band, like even fucking Creator was doing that shit. Testament was doing that shit. But you know, a lot of those records wound up being pretty dope. I need to go back and revisit Diabolus. I haven't listened to that in a long time and I'm sure being more mature and not being some shit-eating 17-year-old that calls everybody who doesn't have a pair of Reeboks a poser. <laughs> I will probably <laughs> enjoy it a lot more now with some, you know, age and experience. That's the argument we'll always get into and saying, you know, talking with Stavros, you know who, which two Metallica records are his favorite. Yeah, <laughs> he, I, I, I love Virgil's the Load top. album too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> which is just, I finally realized was just like, oh, so they went out and toured on the Black Album and they had Kios and COC open for them. So, of course, they tried to be a blues band after that. Makes total fucking sense
0: to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, if you think about James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich's influences, uh, they kind of always wanted to be Motorhead. So, Load is just Metallica being Motorhead. Exactly.
1: It's like, well, what do you do? Well, you just lose it up a little bit, and then you give it a groove instead of pop, 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 pop. And it's like, okay, cool. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, I think also that uh, as much as I love Anjustice for All, that album's almost too technical for them to have ever been able to keep doing that for as long as they've just done Metallica, you know, like I I don't think that they would have still been playing that kind of music today. Anyways, they would have uh, probably retired by now.
1: Oh, exactly. I mean, shit. I always tell people that if injustice had the fucking production of master of puppets in terms of some of the riffs on there, that would probably stand up as one of my favorite Metallica records. Like, holy shit. And I still hold the Black Album in high regard. We did that once when we were, when Atlas Moth was supporting Paradise Lost and Steve would always be the night shift driver and I would always sit up front with him after the show. And one night we were going to the hotel and we had a couple hours. So he was just like, let's put on the fucking Black Album. And like, we get through Enter Sandman and we just look at each other and it's like, man, that's how you start a fucking record. And then just go straight into Sad But True, which is like the heaviest thing they've ever written next to like the thing that should not be. And it's like, Whoa yeah you can't fuck with that album
0: (laughs) yeah all of their albums start with a pretty good sort of arena anthem uh like black album on uh except for like saint anger is kind of weird at the beginning because it's got that whole like frantic like tick 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 tock thing but Oh, God. St. Anger in general is just like a weird anomaly in that band's uh, body of work. (laughs) It really is.
1: It's like, it's Metallica, but it's in the garage. And it's like, cool. But in hindsight, I don't think anybody asked for
0: that. (laughs) Like the way that that I kind of think of it now is like, it's Metallica trying to be corn.
1: A little bit, you know, yeah, because it was a really conscious thing to like, not do guitar solos and kind of strip everything down and make it sound really raw. Yeah, if you look at that time frame, I will piss a lot of people off now because of my age, but St. Anger was the first Metallica record I owned just to blow <laughs> people's minds there. So everybody's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, but that's what that's what had come out when I was of age where I could go to goddamn Circuit City and get myself an album, you know? So it was weird. And I was like, what the fuck? This doesn't have Ender Sandman on it?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's, uh, it's dudes old. in their 40s trying to do teen angst, man.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Sign me up.
0: The, uh, the funny thing about that album, too, is that uh, the original release for it, and I don't know if, the, if it still comes with that DVD, but the original release had that DVD where you could watch them playing it live in their rehearsal space. And that sounded better than the actual album.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember that. I think I remember getting a rip of that from, like, the library or something. And I was like, oh, it's a special edition. What is this? And then you see some kind of uh, monster come out and put all of that into context as well. And it's like, whoa, well, what a shit show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one upside to that album is uh, Rob Trujillo bringing the Chunky Bass Riffs. Dude, so sick. I love it. And he's been fucking fit the band perfectly. Yeah, he's uh, he's been with that band now longer than any other basses. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, definitely longer than Cliff and definitely, yeah, and longer than Jason at this point too. Holy shit.
0: Any yeah, but I think James he's played funny? on the fewest albums. Maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't
1: even name what even comes after Saint. I mean, I remember Death Magnetic. That's about it. Was there anything else around that? Yeah,
0: there's a Hardwired to Self Destruct. Oh shit, that's right. And then there's S&M before Two. From I saw like, them last year. year.
1: Fuck. <laughs> that's right, because I had the good ones. We're so fucked. <laughs> totally fucked. And I was like, all right, cool. I get it. <laughs> I feel it
0: you know it's and uh it so
1: field on that tour and it was like a 97.9 sponsored show so they just played all the radio hits and i'm sitting here being like where the fuck is battery i was like so bummed out by that set list <laughs> yeah, dude i
0: was uh i was right down in front of the stage during that show because i came up uh during that week to hang out with gobo and uh to see that local show. i dropped the, like 200 fans <laughs> yeah yeah, Local <laughs> H uh, won the local band contest. <laughs> you guys were
1: on fucking Warner Brothers, local band my ass. <laughs> you
0: know, and then uh, when when I saw that Avenged Sevenfold was in that supporting spot, my immediate thought was, I wonder if there's like a, a clause in them being on this tour that they can't play any of the songs where they jack the riffs from Metallica songs. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> that whole record. Oh my God. It's like them and Trivium like totally both did that
1: where it was like all right now this was our big like radio active rock album and now we're both now we're all going to try to sound like fucking metallica and it's like oof, you got a little bit too close to the sun on
0: <laughs> yeah Vinch had a song on one of the wwe games a few years ago and i don't remember what the song was called but the the vocal melody for it was ripped straight from sad but true oh that's hilarious it was like <laughs> off just slightly
1: <laughs> Damn, that's hilarious I didn't even know that I'm not I'm not the biggest Avenged Sevenfold fan though I am very stoked I love Brooks Wackerman because I loved uh, Bad Religion and he was a badass drummer in that band so after the fact that he went and joined Avenged Sevenfold made me kind of like curious to go back and see what was going on with that now because he's a sick drummer
0: yeah yeah like they're one of those bands where I know that they exist and I know that they're good at what they do but I don't Particularly, go out of my way to know anything more than that about them. Other than oh, exactly. like, I've sat through them at an Ozfest, and I've sat through them at a Metallica show. Totally, and it's
1: like, cool, fair enough, that works for me. I don't need any more of that. Yeah, it's like it. if I have I'm to listen to it,
0: it, I'm cool with it. But like, yeah. there's there's worse things that I could be subjected to. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I think the only time I purposely missed an opening band was when Maiden was doing Matter of Life and Death and bullet for my valentine was the opening act and i was like cool yeah i've got no reason to show up early for that and i was like no offense guys but i did that maiden what yeah what I, uh, I, I, I photographed him them himself. opening
0: for slipknot one time and they um i was just like this is this is just like standard meat and potato stuff like exactly it exists
1: <laughs> oh, man. dude it's like 2019 and beetle will back me up on this i'm a bass player in atlas moth dude him and i went and saw slipknot and gojira uh out at toyota park and that was hands down one of the best shows i saw all 2019 that was so fucking good
0: (laughs) yeah i photographed that show uh at the virginia stop too Um, nice yeah
1: behemoth was the opener with the giant fucking inverted crosses that spewed fucking smoke everywhere i loved it yeah it was lamb of god on that tour too uh no it was fucking volbeat yeah yeah which was like weird because it goes behemoth Full beat Gojira. And it was like something <laughs> something isn't quite fit here. But those guys, I mean, Volbeat's fucking righteous and homeboys, they're old school death metal dudes. I mean, he's had when they've played Chicago, they have Dave from Jungle Rot fucking come out and sing a song. They have Barney from Napalm on their records. But it's just like it wasn't my cup of tea that day because it was like, dude, I just want to go pit.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I uh, I get all of my tours like mixed up uh, in my head at this point because I've seen so many shows and it's like uh, Lamb of God I've seen with Slipknot a few times that's and so I've so just cool. seen them. They're one of those bands that's like, I love them, but they're also like Hatebreed where they were on like every tour throughout right, right. the uh, the 2000s. Dude,
1: <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, last time I saw Hatebreed fucking... There's obituary supporting them and both Madball and Terror as the opening acts. And I was like, fuck yeah. The amount of camo shorts I'm going to see here tonight is going to rule. But I'd never <laughs> seen Avery, and I stood on the fucking side of the stage with a couple of the obituary guys, and I was like, holy fuck, are they tight. It was said that was such a good show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Josta's side project, uh, Kingdom of Sorrow, the Doom thing yeah, that yeah. he did, that was dope too. And I got to see them on a, a tour with Guar back in like 2008 where kirk winstein was part of that band with josta but he couldn't do that tour because he was touring with down at the time oh they had kenny hickey from typo negative filling in for him
1: oh that's sick all right yeah dude that's that's a lineup right there Holy yeah i mean
0: i got to see typo like the year before that on april fool's day which was a mess too because it's like combining typo with april fools is is
1: exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) And that was the show the one time i got this close to seeing typo negative and then that was one of those hey, i'll catch him next time it was like fucking halloween at the metro and i can't fucking believe i blew that off i was like man I'm perfect and that was probably 10 years ago but holy shit do i think that's one of my biggest life's regrets other than not seeing carlin before he died
0: yeah yeah i mean when i saw typo uh, at that april full show in cincinnati they had um like these sort of prompt signs. So there was one for applause. There was one that said, you suck. There was one that said, boo. Uh, And then they played the chicken dance for like 20 minutes before they came out on stage.
1: That's that sixth sense of Polish humor right
0: there. Yeah, they they just played that on a loop and the lights would light up. And finally people caught on that they needed to do whatever these like prompt lights said. And then as they started doing it, the lights went down and then everyone started cheering and ignoring the prompt lights. And then the lights would go back up because they ignored them and the chicken dance music started again. Oh, that is
1: so good. It's like being a German fest. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it's weird like uh. I guess not really weird, but it, it's interesting to me, too, that like I've seen half of that band a few times with Danzig, too, because uh, Johnny oh, Kelly yeah. and Kenny Hickey were his uh, guitarist and drummer for a while. Oh, yeah.
1: I remember many many a Ride Fest with him on drums for sure. Because I always get that. I always get Danzig confused with whenever I would see fucking Jerry doing his own thing. Because who was drumming for Jerry? I don't fucking remember. I don't know what a mess that all is. <laughs> I think, um, about.
0: <laughs> robo uh from yeah black that's right flag. black flag yeah Dez
1: was in the band too and Dez was playing guitar that's right i remember that
0: yeah
1: um at the rib and i remember jerry showing up an hour late he's like sorry i was trick-or-treating with my kid and i was like that's cool and all <laughs> but you charged me like fucking 30 bucks for these tickets so, could just show up on time,
0: <laughs> Dude, uh, Speaking of Johnny Kelly, too, it's nuts that as talented as he is, uh, for the first three typo albums that he was part of the band, they used a drum machine instead of him.
1: How the fuck did I not know that? Holy shit!
0: Yeah, the uh, I think Dead Again was the first typo album that he played live drums on, because uh, October Rust, World Coming Down, and Life Is Killing Me all have drum machine
1: holy shit see now i'm learning something here that's fucking crazy
0: (laughs) which is why i mean i fucking love that
1: again i mean it's weird that's probably an unpopular opinion that's one of my favorite typo records and it pisses me off that obviously it's that like post roadrunner era so you can't find it on any streaming services (laughs) yeah but that that record ruled and that had a lot of you could tell that peter had been fucking around with carnivore for a bit because like even the title track it's like he's got a little thrashy again okay there's some speed to this
0: yeah, that one though, uh, I think it, it turned off a lot of fans because it was also uh, around the time that he was, um, I guess, sort of getting back into Catholicism after he had gone to uh, to Rikers and then was in like a psych ward for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so he had like that he had that uh one song that's like right in the middle of it where it's just like this uh big like anti-abortion thing and i think that that mm-hmm. turned off a lot of their uh typical fan base yeah exactly
1: <laughs> It's like, you know what, what the you know i'm just trying to listen to some typo here what the fuck are you preaching at me for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and then there's uh that prophet of doom song he gets all like weird and uh and uh like revelation-y
1: <laughs> yeah it all starts with him you see know, it seems like speaking of like a bible verse at the beginning of that during the dirge before it kicks into the main riff and it's hilarious because even in the music video like they cut that whole thing out and it just starts right at that main guitar riff. <laughs>
0: you know the uh the interviews that he did around that album were great too because it was just full of uh of all of these things where he's uh um doing his typical like dry humor and he's like uh uh talking about how his sister had him committed to the psych ward because he had psychotic episodes from doing too much cocaine (laughs) and there's a there was a quote that was in either revolver or decibel where he's just like blood while thicker than water is harder to clean up and then it's a line in one of the songs on that album too yeah right (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> truly the truly the prophet. Oh dear lord. Uh, perspective is everything. That's for damn sure. I don't know. If I was in a situation, when I get a little Jesus Who the hell knows? Let's not get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, like uh after the Rikers thing, uh, I think in one of those same interviews, someone asked him what he learned from that. And he was like, uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna kick someone's ass, then you shouldn't uh tell them that you're gonna fucking kill them before you do it because that implies intent and they will use that against you. <laughs> where'd you learn how the legal system works yeah. <laughs> Shit. yeah well uh i think i've uh, held you up for about an hour now so uh i'm gonna let you go but uh, thanks for taking the time to do this today
1: yeah absolutely roger thanks for asking good chatting
0: yeah yeah it was uh
1: it was great to catch up absolutely dude looking forward to being able to see you in person again soon someday you coming back to the city anytime soon i remember this
0: rumor that you were pushing around yeah supposedly I, i may be moving back in uh around september but at the same time like i've had i'm so used to having things that i want like dangled in front of me and then pulled away that i'm like uh tentatively uh embracing it but trying not to get too excited about it <laughs> no, fair enough. believe it when you see it and if yeah. that isn't an analogy
1: that can be applied to everything we just talked about in this past hour then fucking hey <laughs> i'll believe it when i see it when it all comes back shit